After that, we just keep singing. I'm going to be in Psalm chapter 1 today. Uh, I invite you to open your copy of God's Word there, Psalm chapter 1. Three short verses as we're uh, a little over halfway through this series entitled Spiritual Discipline. Uh, Spiritual Discipline, I hope that you've gotten the emphasis of how critical and how important it is today. We're going to talk about the most important spiritual discipline in existence, and it is meditating on God's Word. Reading, studying, all of the things that lead to us meditating upon God's Word. Uh, God's Word has always been important to me. It has always been something that has guided me, always been something that has comforted me. And as I had thought about this sermon, I, I just can't help but think about things in my life dating all the way back to like 32 years ago whenever I was struggling with what I was going to do with my life. I was just a college student, by the way, welcome back, college students. Uh, I was just a college student myself and wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. And the Lord spoke to me through Psalm 27, uh, just kind of a, a random a random verse. God spoke to me and called me uh, to ministry. Uh, I remember to, uh, about 22 years ago, I was graduating seminary. I knew I was called, didn't know what I was going to do, was kind of directionless. God comforted me by giving me a proverb, many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it is the Lord who determines his steps. Eighteen years ago, I was dating a beautiful young woman from South Carolina, and I wanted to marry her so bad, but I had made a commitment that I would not get married until God told me I could, until he specifically made it clear. And in a period of prayer and fasting and solitude, I was sitting by a little mountain stream, asked the Lord to make it clear, and he gave me an obscure passage from Ruth chapter 1 and uh, gave me the go-ahead to marry my beautiful wife. And uh, God's Word has always been there to guide me. I, I I remember before I came here, I had told the Lord I was not going to leave my previous church, and he was going to have to make me leave. Well, he made me leave by giving me a verse of Scripture in Ephesians, and that's how I came to Stephen Street. But I still struggled with it. I doubted. I said, Lord, are you sure? He gave me Psalm 37 to give me that assurance and that comfort that, yes, I was to move to Cookville. Two years later, I was wrestling as to whether we should spend all the money that it was going to cost us to build this new beautiful building out here. And I was like, God, I, I just, I, I was nervous, those emotions, those anxiousness. And exactly two years to the day, God gave me Psalm 37 again and gave me the comfort that I needed. I remember during the pandemic, 2020, dark times for leaders of churches wrestling and struggling over whether we should bathe in sanitizer before we came into worship or not, or whether we should shut down and masks and all that. The Lord gave me a verse of Scripture in Ephesians and guided me during that time. Just this past summer, God spoke to me in a verse of Scripture that I shared with our pastors uh, in our pastors meeting this past, uh, this past week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, just last week, the Lord spoke to me through His Word as I was preparing a sermon. To, I was preparing to preach to you a sermon on fasting. I woke up last Sunday morning. I opened up my Bible. I had my quiet time, and I was like, "Lord, they do not want to hear me tell them not to eat. They don't want to hear it." 
And the Lord gave me a verse from Job, Job chapter 23, verse 12, a verse that he used in my life during a previous fast last year. And he basically said, they may not want to hear it, but you need to tell them anyway. God speaks through his word. He speaks. He talks to you. He wants to speak to you individually, specifically through his word. That is how it works. And you should be able, listen, if you had time to think about it, if you should be able to pick up your Bible, you should be able to flip through the 66 books of our Christian Bible, and you should be able to point to verses of Scripture where God has told you to do stuff, where he's told you not to do stuff, where he's given you comfort in times of pain, where he's given you direction during times whenever you have felt lost, you, if you are a Christian here today, I hope that you love the Word of God and you agree with me that God speaks to us through His Word. Whenever we read it, whenever we study it, whenever we memor uh, uh, memorize it and meditate on it, God tells us things. Amen? He communicates with us individually whenever we meditate on his word there is just absolutely nothing that is more stable and more foundational and more certain in this life than the words that we have printed in our bibles read them or you will not grow in your faith study memorize meditate on what God's Word says, or you will not flourish as a Christian. It will not happen. And so today I want to look at this, at this passage in, in, in the Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 1, we're going to read verses, uh, verses 1 through 3. Before I do, I want to remind you, uh, I want to remind you of these critical spiritual disciplines, these, these four primary spiritual disciplines. In previous weeks, I've, I've tried to tell you that there has to be a time where you slow down your soul, where you make the best use of the time, uh, put your cell phones away, your TV, your busyness, all of that. Quiet your soul in a secret place and get alone with God. Silence, solitude, meditating on Scripture. Last week, I spoke on fasting. And I'm curious, if you have ever fasted before, would you send me an email or send me a Facebook message? Or if you have my cell phone, send me a text message and tell me about your experience with fasting. It doesn't have to be long. It can be one sentence or just a Don't make it too long. I won't read all of it. Just a paragraph, you know, a sentence, a paragraph. I would be interested in hearing about your personal experiences uh, with, with fasting. And so, uh, anyway, so today, meditating on Scripture, uh, stand, uh, stand with me as we read Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and see what the Bible says is true about a righteous man. Now, hear me whenever I say this, a righteous person. This is not just saying what a righteous person, person should do. This, these, these are making factual statements about what a righteous person does. Let's read them together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But listen to this, listen. His delight, circle that in your Bibles, highlight that in your Bibles when you have a chance. His delight, not his duty, 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, the scripture, the Bible, God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he does something special with it. He, does, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just read it. He doesn't just listen to it. doesn't just agree with it. Circle this word in your Bible. On his law, he meditates. He's captivated by it. He just can't stop thinking about it. It's just with him all the time. He meditates on it night and day. And there's something special about this person. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. God, today I pray, Lord, that just the attentive reading of your word would have power in the life of everyone here today. I pray, God, that you would teach us and train us Lord, that meditation upon your word and upon your truth should just naturally arise from our hearts as we delight in you. God, today I pray that you would just dismiss me, just silence my voice, and I pray, God, that you would speak to your people. Lord, if they need to be convicted, I pray that a deep sense of conviction would fall upon them. Lord, if they need to be encouraged, Lord, I pray that you would just lift them up on eagle's wings as a result of your preached word. God, whatever their needs are today as your sheep, Lord, we are your sheep. God, I pray that you would pastor us and nurture us today in your word. We need you desperately, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, the first thing that I want to kind of point out uh, before we jump in to talk about, you know, being, del- uh, being uh, uh, delighted in the Word and meditating on the Word is kind of a foundation that gets to really the core of who we are and what we desire. And if we notice in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, that there's some things that just don't belong in the life of a righteous person, some things that we have to reject. And I want to use an even stronger word than rejection. I want to use the word hate. I mean, the Scripture really tells us in a lot of different places, not just in Psalm 1, that we need to hate falsehood. There is a world around us that is vying for our attention. Everywhere we go, uh, we can't look on the internet or scroll social media or drive down the road without seeing some type of advertisement, somebody or something that wants to capture our attention. There are voices out there, cultural voices, uh, political voices, entertainment voices that just want to woo us like a Pied Piper. And what they want us to do is they want us to meditate on whatever content it is that they are delivering. Now, this is not all bad. I mean, you know, if we need a new pair of shoes, we put some thought into it, and we go and we think about it a little while. Nothing wrong with, uh, you know, pondering a a little bit of what's going on in our world. But our problem is that we live in a world, especially now in our culture, that there, is, there are so many people and places and things that are trying to get us to set our hearts on them or on their products or on their points of view or on their political persuasions or whatever it might be. 
And we have to be very cautious. We have to be circumspect as Christians. And we have to think very carefully about what we put our minds on, about what we set our hearts on. The Bible tells us to set our hearts and set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so in order to do that, we have to filter out those messages and those things that are said to us and those things that pull at our attention so that we don't set our hearts on falsehood. And I believe that we need to come to hate the things that God hates. Uh, most of you know I went on, a, on a, a, a sabbatical this past summer, and uh, man, the Lord just taught me so much. He just revealed so many things to me. And this is one of the things that God really showed me, that it's not enough to just love the things that God loves, that we also have to absolutely despise and detest and even hate the things that God hates. Some of you are like, well, hold on, hold on just a minute. God hates? Absolutely. Uh, look, at the, look at Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, I got these, these verses in Proverbs uh, at the Parkinson house. We've been reading Proverbs together. Uh, but in Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible tells us about all this falsehood that he hates. We have that for the screen, Proverbs chapter 6. Um, I'll read it to you. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, uh, seven that are ab an abomination to him. And it lists some things that God hates. And this list reminds me of the false counsel or the false paths or the false positions that's spoken of in Psalm chapter 1. We don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. We don't walk in the way of sinners. We don't sit in the seat of scoffers. The Lord hates these types of things, and we also are to hate these things. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 5 says, The righteous hates falsehood. You will never come to a point that you love and cherish God's word and you meditate on his truth and on scripture. You will, ne you will never come to that point as long as your heart is drawn away to falsehood. Now, let me be clear, we don't hate the way that the world hates. Uh, when the world hates, the world fills its heart with bitterness and anger and wrath. That's not the way that God hates. God hates by way of rejection and separation. In other words, when we do that, we hate by saying, I will not accept these things into my mind. I will not accept these things into my heart, into my life. I won't have any part of them. I won't laugh at them. I won't cherish them. I won't think they're funny. I'm going to hate them in, in, in that I'm going to reject them out of my life. This is really, um, this is really the, 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 first, the first part of us just being able to meditate on God's Word. I mean, how can we love and meditate on truth if we're allowing falsehood to enter our life? Well, the good news is, is we have a weapon against that falsehood. It's God's Word, and the Bible says that we are to love God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 says that the righteous person delights, I love that word, delights in the law of the Lord. This is the foundation of meditation. This is the foundation of being able to meditate on anything. Now, let me be clear about that. You meditate and think about 
and become captivated and give mental and emotional and spiritual energy towards things that you love. And the Bible says that we're not supposed to direct that meditational energy towards falsehood or towards the things of the world, but that we're supposed to direct it towards the law of the Lord. And when the scripture says law of the Lord, we're talking about God's word, the 66 books of the Christian Bible. We're talking about uh, the scriptures themselves, God's word, the scriptures, not some, it's not some legalistic code. We're not, we're not talking about the law of the Lord as some legalistic, legalistic code. We're speaking about scripture uh, and about the Bible. This is the foundation. This should be who you are. You should love the Lord. I mean, either you love something or you don't. I, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my children. I think about them every single day, multiple times a day. I don't have to try to love them, ex except for the teenagers. I don't, I don't have to put forth effort to try to love them. I mean, I just... I, I, I just love them. Now, that's not the case with some things, like spinach. I do not love spinach. I do, and, and listen, let me tell you something. That is not going to change. Maybe if you wrapped it in bacon, I might could take delight in it, but I just, I just don't love spinach. Either you love something or either you don't. You can't make yourself love it. Now, listen. Popeye, about 35, 40 years ago, Popeye made me try to love spinach. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Pastor Andy, did you watch Popeye growing up? Anybody watch the cartoon Popeye? I am so proud of y'all in here. I thought it would just be the first service that would know about Popeye. Y'all know Popeye, he would be all weak. He'd get be beaten up by a guy in a ring or he, he, something would happen. And all of a sudden, man, he'd crack open that spinach. He'd eat that spinach and boom, his muscles would pop out and he would build a house in like a millisecond. And I told my mama, I said, I want to be strong like Popeye. I was only five, six years old. I said, I want to be strong like Popeye. Get me some spinach. And she was like, are you sure? I was like, yes, ma'am. I'm going to eat that spinach, and the same thing's going to happen to me. I took one bite, and I have hated it ever since. And that's just not going to change. Now, look, I could force feed myself if I wanted to. I could say, Kelly, i got to eat more greens. Would you please? Now, Kelly likes spinach. I said, please, just... Put some spinach on my plate. Give me some of that broccoli. <sighs> Fine, I'll eat it. And every meal, I could, I could kind of force it in. I could put a bunch of salt. I could try to wrap it. I'll do whatever I can just, just to get it in me because I have to, because I know it's good for me, because I know I need it. But I'm never going to delight in it. And you know what? As a result, I'm probably never going to eat it. And I think that sometimes we try to do that with God's Word. As if, okay, I should read it, and, and uh, oh, I just feel guilty. I hadn't been reading it enough, or we just feel like, oh, it's, it's good for me. I know I should do it. And so we try to force feed ourselves. Y'all, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to love it. You have to love the things of God. You have to be driven. I, I feel like I say this all the time, but I think this is so important to God's Word. It has to be a drive inside of you or you will not meditate it. You will not meditate on it. You will not think about it. It will not dwell in your heart. 
It won't be something that you cherish. And here's the bad news. You ready for the bad news? This is not something that you can do on your own. You can't walk out of here and say, I am going to be resolute. I'm going to make a human decision right now. I'm going to be resolute. And I'm going to start loving and reading God's Word more. You are spiritually incapable of loving anything except yourself and this world. As a human being, you are totally incapable of loving and cherishing the things of God unless, unless God's Spirit does something inside of you. There has to be something supernatural that takes place inside of you before you can begin to delight and cherish God's Word and the things of God. This is a, this is a, this is a great hole in our gospel, that I think, in, in American Christianity. We think that somehow, just by making a human decision and using willpower and, and making commitment and saying, I am going to do it, that, sometime, that somehow we can, we can, at that point, not fall short of the glory of God anymore. But it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. If we, want to, if we want to cherish the things of God, if we want to meditate on God's Word, we have to pray. First, first we have to be saved. We have to be saved. Nobody who's not saved delights in God's Word. Nobody who's not saved delights and cherishes the cross of Christ. No one who's not saved is looking forward to heaven. It's only people who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit that have a delight in these things. And this is why I'm spending so much time on this. Because if, if I told you, you need to read God's Word, this is God's Word, it's good for you, it's like spinach, you just need to go and you just need to eat it and you just need to be more committed, you know what you would do? You'd go, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try harder. And you'll last about a week. You'll last about a month, and then you'll eventually burn out unless you come to love it, unless you're born again, unless you pray for the Lord Jesus Christ to do something amazing in your life. I remember uh, this verse of Scripture, John chapter 14, verse 15. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You know, I used to think that was a guilt trip. I used to think, I used to, in my imagination, Jesus was kind of sitting on a throne in heaven with his arms crossed and his legs crossed, looking down on me as I'm being disobedient, saying, well, if you loved me, then you would obey my commands. I, I, used, I, I did. I used to see this as a guilt trip. But now I've come to see that what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying is, is that when you love me, because you love me, obeying my commands will just come bursting out of your heart. In other words, love is the empowerment that we need, the delight in God and in His Word. That is the empowerment for actually being obedient. Not trying to do harder, but saying, God, I need you. I don't need myself to do harder. I, I try harder. I need you. And so, what this leads to, this leads to a meditation 
upon God's Word. Now, I said at the beginning of this sermon, uh, before I read the Scripture, this is, a, this is a statement of fact. This is a statement of fact about a person who hates falsehood and delights in the law of the Lord. This is a statement of fact. Here's what that person does. They meditate on the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. The Word of God has gotten inside of them, and they can't. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's just tumbling inside of them, and they can't get it off their mind. Every single one of you meditates on something that you delight in. Every single one of you delights in something and you meditate on it. How many warriors we got in here? We got any warriors in here? See, you know how to meditate. You put extreme concentration on trying to fix a problem. You're meditating on the wrong thing whenever you worry. How many of you, whenever you go to work, uh, you go to your job and you just have this ability to just focus your mind on a task Bombs could be going on or off. I mean, they, I mean the, the, the Al-Qaeda could be dropping bombs. You don't even hear it. You just, you just focused on that task. We got anybody here like that? See, you, you know how to meditate. You know how to put extreme concentration. How many of you are in love with someone? Man, when you are in love with someone, you can't stop thinking about them I rem oh my goodness. I, I, thank you, Joey. I'm glad there's some, some smart husband out there saying amen. I remember when Kelly and I first started dating. I mean, I still love her. Don't get me wrong. When we first started dating, it was so intense. You married couples, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you think about them all the time. You're calling them. You're texting them. You are, you are meditating on that person all the time. And that's a good thing as long as they're a good person. And the person that God wants you to wants you to marry. See, we know how to meditate. We already do it. We meditate on the things that we love or the problems that we want to solve or the jobs that we want to complete. The Bible says, if, if you are a person that rejects falsehood, if you are a person that delights in the law of the Lord and you love the things of God, you're going, you will be meditating on them. Interestingly enough, I, I discovered this early in my Christian life. Uh, the word, you know what the word, the, the Hebrew word meditate means? It means to murmur. And I remember as a college student sitting around reading that, I was like, what does that mean? To murmur, what does that have to do with meditating? I mean, thinking about something, and I found myself murmuring. I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. You're thinking about it so much that it actually affects your speech. It affects your body posture. It affects your facial expressions. Just like when you're focused on a task and you have to hold your mouth right, you know, just right to do it. You're it, affects, it, it literally affects your physical body when you are meditating on something and thinking about something so intently and so desperately. And the Bible says this is the reality for the Christian. This is the reality for the righteous person. It may not be going on 24-7 hours, uh, you know, 24-7, 20, bleh, I can't talk, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
But this should be a part of your disciplined life. This should be a part of your spiritual disciplines and a part of who you are. And it should be happening a lot. It says he meditates on his, on his all day and night. This is more than just reading. This is more than just believing. You see, it is, it is totally possible for you to hear me preach the Word of God and forget tomorrow what I preached. Can you believe that that's actually possible? I mean, I know that never happens. It never happens. I know that you remember exactly, I know that y'all remember exactly everything that I say. And if I was to call you on Monday morning, you could repeat my sermon to me. I know I'm confident that's not true of y'all. But do you know that it's actually possible, in all seriousness, to open the Word of God in the morning, read it, close it, and then an hour later, you're, you're not even thinking about it anymore. James talks about that in the book of James. He said it's like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and then turns away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, reading it is not enough. Reading it is not enough. You may tell you what else is not enough. Just coming here and listening to me preach once a week, if this is all the Bible intake that you get, it is not enough. It is woefully inadequate. It's like you as an adult trying to eat little bottles of Gerber every meal and somehow maybe that, maybe that would keep you alive. I don't know. I guess it would. But you need to discipline yourself to meditate and read and study and take in the Word of God for yourself. What we hope to do here on Sunday mornings as a part of worship is just to celebrate the love and the delight that we have in God. That's, all, that's what we do. We're just, we're just celebrating how much we love the Lord and how much we cherish Him. And when we hear the Word of God, it's not so much that we're coming to learn as much as we're coming to celebrate, as we're coming to be encouraged. We're coming so that our faith will grow, so that we can carry it with us throughout the week, so that whenever we read the Word of God and journal the things that the Lord says to us, that it's something that is going on all the time, day and night, and doesn't just happen on a 30-minute slot on Sunday mornings. It needs to be real in your life, a discipline. And when you do this, things start to happen. If this is true of you, if you are a person that rejects falsehood, if you have a true delight inside of you for the law of the Lord, if you meditate, if the Word of God just marinates in your heart and in your soul, there's something that's also going to be true about you. The Bible says that you're going to bear spiritual fruit. Both Old Testament and New Testament use the imagery of fruit bearing, whether from a plant or a vine or a tree, to describe what will happen in your life if you love the Lord. This will happen in your life. It either has happened or it is happening if you are truly a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. If you truly have a delight in Him, the Bible says you're going to bear fruit. I like John 15. It talk, Jesus says, you know, the vine and the branches remaining in Him bearing fruit. This is the Old Testament version, so to speak, of, uh, of, of the fruit-bearing vine. He says He's like a tree planted by streams of water, 
that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. This does not mean that you won't get sick. It doesn't mean that you might not fail a test. It doesn't mean that your boyfriend might not break up with you or you might get a divorce or, or you might have a problem with one of your kids growing up. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems in life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all the money that you need. That is not what this is saying. What this is saying is that your spiritual life will always be like this no matter what. And when I say always be like this, I don't mean that you might not have dark times. I don't mean that you might not have dry times, um, you know, those, those down times. But this will overall, this will characterize your spiritual life if you truly love the Lord and if you truly delight in Him. And I guess my question would be is, is is this, is this true about you? This either is true about you or it's becoming true about you. This is the path that you're on. This is God's vision for your life as well as God's promise. If you will reject falsehood, delight yourself in the Lord and meditate on God's word. When we give this type of attention to Jesus and our relationship with him, we bear fruit. It's not that some do bear fruit and some don't bear fruit. All who truly love the Lord and are in a relationship with Him and who delight in Him and meditate on His Word, all of them are like this. And if that's not true of you, if you can't look at your spiritual life and say, that's true, of, that, that's true. I love God's Word. I cherish God's Word. That's true. I love Jesus. I, I want to be obedient to him, not because I have to, but because, because I long to. I can see spiritual things happening in me and around me. I can see God transforming me. If that's not happening to you, you should ask yourself, why? You should, you should ask yourself, well, is it just that I believe, or is it something that's really true in my heart? And maybe today is the day that you call on Jesus and ask him to do something inside of you that you were just totally incapable of doing inside of yourself. Ask him to save you and implant in you a love and drive and desire for the things of God. Can we stand? I want you to think about where you are. Is this you? Is this you? And if it's not, why not? Why isn't your life moving in this direction? What correction do you need to make? How do you need to talk to the Lord about this? Is God telling you? Is he speaking to you and telling you to do something right now? The Bible says if we'll call on the name of the Lord, then we can be saved. You will never do this on your own. This will never be a spiritual life you produce on your own. It only happens when you fall to your knees in, knees in surrender and say, God, I give up and I want you to do this inside of me. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our